Hey, welcome back. It's another episode of Business of Film, episode number 35. My name is Jesse Eichmann, and you're listening to a crafttruck.com podcast. Now, this week, we've uh, got a special episode for you. Uh, I have on the show with me today Dan Beckerman. Now, Dan is a guy that I've known for a long time. He started his career as a uh, production manager, then worked his way up to a line producer, and then currently now he's a producer in the business. He's done or has been involved with either line producing or producing uh, more than 27 projects, 27, 30 projects, something like that. But more to the point, I value Dan's approach, uh, his uh, way of thinking about the business as we get into the show. I just think is so insightful that I really felt there was going to be a ton of value for those people listening to uh, this show. So I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get something out of it. And uh, as always, Dan, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, to all of our listeners, thank you for taking the time uh, uh, to you know spend the time with us here today and enjoy this episode. It's a good one. Episode number 35 with Dan Beckerman. All right, that's cool. Uh, well, thank you again for coming on the show. I, I don't know. How long have I known you for now? It's, I feel like it's been at least a decade. Uh, you know, I have lost track of all, all track of time. I'm not sure. Uh, I think probably close to a decade in reality, yeah. I, I remember the first time that I actually met you, we were, we were trying to do this uh, low-budget project, and you came over to my house, and you sat down at my kitchen table, and we, yeah. and we, and we went through the numbers on a budget. It was like line by line. It was the first time I'd met That's you. That's right. Remember that? Yeah, I, I do remember. I think, was that about that um, one with Anna Paquin's brother? Might have was been that, that one. I, I honestly, I, I again, that's it's been. So remember long. that one? I do remember. It was that like, one. yeah, yeah. Did I ended up seeing that. In, yeah, yeah. I saw it at Tribeca. I was in Tribeca a few years ago, and I saw it playing there. And I ended up meeting Anna Paquin's brother and chatting with him about the fact that we had budgeted for that movie. You know what? I feel yeah. there's so many instances in movies that we've budgeted for other people that just wind up happening at the end of the day. And you're like, yeah. Oh, yeah, I worked on that one at one point in one incarnation. Absolutely, yeah. I've got like a, a graveyard with all the uh, all the many millions of budgets I've done. <laughs> so, uh, just I, mean, I don't know. We're we're having a little sidebar here, but for the uh, general uh, for the general entertainment of everybody who's listening, why don't you just take a quick moment and uh, tell our listeners just a little bit about you know, uh, who you are and what you do? Sure. Uh, name is Daniel Beckerman. Uh, I am a producer in Canada of mainly feature films beginning to enter into some TV work. Um, I have produced, uh, I believe it's seven feature films now. And I've also done a lot of line producing. So uh, that's where all those budgets come from. Uh, line produced uh, or production managed over 20 movies. And... Uh, yeah, but pr really now I'm I'm pretty much entirely focused on producing and uh, doing a combination of Canadian content production, service productions. Um, already this year I've done two movies. One was a content, the other was a service production. So and and the uh, the volume seems to be increasing rapidly right now. Well, look, the reason why I wanted to have you on the show was. From the and, and again, this kind of goes back to that that first time we met, which is I, I always felt that you had uh, 
uh, and I believe this is a very specific trait, but an ability to look at a project and understand how to make that project work uh, with the resources that are available. So I, I kind of wanted to focus, I guess, this conversation. And it's not, not to say that it's, you know, micro-budget, low-budget, or high-budget, because I know you've done everything from, you know, the million-dollar movie to the $5 million-plus movie and, you know, everything in between. Uh, but I, I always believe that you approach a project from, from a very specific point of view. So I guess if we were to just take that 30,000-foot view of, you know, when you sit down and you read a script for the first time, what's going through your, your mind as a producer slash, you know, former line producer, production manager? Right. Well, um, you know, obviously primarily it's just do I like it. Uh, that's step one. Uh, and I guess right after that uh, follows closely, is it viable? Um, so uh, if I really, really like it, then I might ignore a little bit about how viable it might be <laughs> and, and fight against a project that's difficult to make, um, difficult to find a finance structure that works. Uh, to a degree, although I'm doing that a little less, getting a little more conservative um, as I'm doing more. Um, but, uh, I mean, projects I want to get involved with, really, it's it's sort of uh, uh, it's a combination of those two main obvious factors. Is, is Does it resonate with me creatively, which is very important to me? And then how sound is it on a fiscal level? And you know, like I said, one or the other of those sides can kind of push out the other if they're particularly strong. But I generally like to have a balance of both. So let's just, for the sake of this conversation at least, because I'm going to assume that any project that you are involved with is something that, you know, one of those two things has obviously tipped the scale. But again, for the sake of this project, on the, on the subject of viability... Mm-hmm. And from more so, uh, actually, I I don't actually want to skew your answer one way or, or another. When, so when you think of whether or not it's viable, what are the parameters in your mind? Like what boxes are you kind of checking there and going, okay, uh, you know, this makes it work for me. This doesn't make it work for me. And that's assuming on a, let's say, qualitative label, level that you already like it. Right. Okay. What what can make it viable? Um, so um, or not should, or not? Yeah. Okay. But before I directly answer that, I just want to say that one exciting thing in this early, most basic assessment step of of uh, projects is that it, I, I got ex- I get excited by is just the realization of the lack of a right answer to these questions, and and as soon as I start to realize that there really isn't a lot of right answers that are always right answers. To me, that was exciting because it's really uh, becomes uh, a much more um, creative process, even on the analytical uh, business side and and figuring out how to put a project together. So, uh, and it makes it an ongoing perpetual challenge to, to realize that it's not just one set of criteria that makes something viable. So that's when I think I started being a better producer and also more excited about being a producer is when I realized the, that you just really have to figure it out on a case-by-case. Case. That's the reality. As much as people want to apply a template, 
the templates are there's are founded on principles that are in constant flux. So you really really need to look at it as an individual case. And you know, so to answer that question more directly about the viability, um, you know, it's a huge question that we are we're all always struggling with. Um, you know, there's some sort of touchstone ideas of what makes something viable. Um, you know, what what has succeeded in terms of genre. So a lot there's often been movements towards really clear genre movies such as horror. Um, but then those markets get flooded and so what buyers want changes. So that's just actually an example of what I was saying about the lack of a clear right answer when it comes to viability. Um, because you can't, some of those more obvious genres that people um, flock to because they're thought of as, 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 as more viable get flooded and new issues come out with them. So I'm not very genre-based when it comes to the viability question. It's, that's really not it for me. It's, I know it's it for a lot of people. Um, but to me, I much prefer to look, try to drill down to the core of the story. And that's where, that's where, um, you know, the business and the creative, uh, at this early step in the process do kind of merge as well, because I have the crazy belief that, uh, if the, if there is a true originality at the core of a story, I believe that can create viability in the market because ultimately we're in the business of getting people excited about stories and it's pretty hard to get excited when you feel like you've seen the thing before and you're just being uh, served up a warm, a warmed up uh, version of something you've had before. It's pretty hard to get excited about that. So pretty much my um, uh, criteria for projects that I'm, I'm, going for is based on that sense of true originality, which is perhaps a, uh, uh, quixotic quest. I realize, but it's, it's what gets me going. Uh, well, I, I gotta say you, though, as the sirens blare in, in the, in the background, um, yeah. no, I, I really appreciate that, that answer. I, I think, I know I was asking for a certain amount of specificity, and you threw that back in my in my face. No, no, not at all. Um, I, 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 I genuinely appreciate the answer, and I think more and more today that that answer is really the right answer. Is that there is no answer? You know, you just go back to William Goldman Tennant's, and no one knows anything, and that kind of goes for just to a certain extent the basics of producing. I mean. At the end of the day, it's it's a creative it's a creative art, and um, I just I, again love the love your approach. Um, so thank you. Uh, let me let me ask you this question though, on a very practical mm-hmm. level. Let's say that a project uh, has a certain, and, and I'm gonna just because uh, I, I know that a lot of our listeners are working on that million dollar and under project. So mm-hmm. I fully appreciate um, how that answer not only applies to bigger budget project, really any project, but for the sake of, uh, I guess, learning about the application of working within the constraint of, let's say, that million dollar budget level or less, mm-hmm. can you give some, I guess, 
either some stories from things you've worked on in the past or just some some practical examples of the things that you do to help get more onto the screen. Right. Well, yeah. Um, and maybe that's a maybe that's a you know how long was a piece of string question. And I ask a few of those no, on this podcast from time to time, but maybe not. No, that's that's the the string question is is worth asking. I think, um, and it's uh, by its nature, it's always changing. But yeah, so I've done quite a few. I guess I've done what like probably something like five movies under a million. Um, and, uh, they, you know, and almost all of them, I've actually been really happy with how it's turned out. They've all, I think actually every single one has had a theatrical release, um, of some kind. And in, in one case, a movie I, I produced called The Pin had a more than 50 screen release in the U S, uh, which was really exciting because, uh, you know, it was actually not expected. So it was a really nice surprise of, in, in the distribution world, which doesn't happen often enough these days. So, um, yeah, but I think a good example for the question of production value and efficiency and how to put money on screen, a good example for that is a movie I produced with another producer named Cher Harish um, called The Husband, directed by Bruce McDonald. It premiered at TIFF last year. It was released uh, in Canada uh, theatrically this year. Um, so that, that was around a million dollar movie. And, um, that to me was very instructive and it, and it might've might really be dependent on working with a director like Bruce, who is so comfortable, uh, you know, with what he does that he will kind of go to the edge of the cliff, so to speak of, you know, pushing the production model, beyond what a lot of people would do. And specifically in this case of having a really tiny crew. Um, so I, I probably never worked on as comfortable a production as the husband in terms of, you know, how we fit our financing into what we needed to achieve. It was, we just had the exact right amount of money to do exactly what we wanted to do. And a lot of that was about accepting the fact that it was a tiny, tiny crew. And that is the gospel of of low budget. I mean, what is Tiny Crew like? Actually, just do me the 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 favor of, of listing out the positions yeah. that you had on that show. Well, a Tiny Crew in that case does mean more than twenty people. It's not like actual documentary size. It's like probably twin. Like the main crew we rolled with was probably like twenty two or twenty three plus actors, um, which actually doesn't sound that tiny, but it really is hard to get it that small on, you know, a narrative fiction where you are doing some lighting, you have some art. It's not like it wasn't a style of filmmaking where we just shot the world as it was. It wasn't like that. It was, we had everything we wanted out of a movie crew, you know, and we could shape the world and uh, everything you'd want to do uh, to, to create a tone and, uh, to create the, the, the world you want to create. Uh, so we had everything we needed, but just barely, just no, absolutely no fat on the crew whatsoever. And that just has such a cascading effect on your budget um, when it comes to how big is your transport department? Well, they're only driving this many trucks. Like, I think we had everything on 
one all the lighting grip and camera on one single cube van you know so that isn't like having your footprint your transport footprint smaller is is really <laughs> liberating actually because um, when you want to say you want to do a unit you spur of the moment unit move which you know a director like Bruce might want to do <laughs> Um, you know, you can actually do that. You can actually be like, Hey, let's go over here and shoot this now. And it's not like, what, what about all our paperwork and our one line schedule? And you know, it's, you know, being more flexible is, is actually thinkable when you keep your footprint really, really small. And that's, that's a great way to work, but it's not, I mean, I know there's a style of filmmaking that where it's like, you make it like a documentary. It's not that which is a different thing, which is fine, but it, it is somewhat limiting, I think, for, you know, you can only make certain kind of film like that. Um, this, this style that we did The Husband in, which is still relatively naturalistic and not, it's not like a Tim Burton movie or something, but um, we, we did have, you know, the ability to, you know, add some color, like a color palette and things like that that we wanted to do. So I, I, to me, that was a movie of, uh, an example of the movie that uh, had the really, a really great low budget production model. Gotcha. Yeah, no, I, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, you in, in one of our previous discussions over the years, I, I remember you had said something uh, very much akin to what you're saying now. Uh, which is be beware of free shit, and I think that right. that's what you're speaking to right now. Is any you know if, if people are if you're a low budget filmmaker and people are willing to to give you stuff or you're able to get stuff very cheaply, it doesn't always help you. That at the end of the day, um, and I, I like your metaphor here to you know keep your your footprint small. I mean that is very liberating, as you say. So that's <clears throat> that's great. That's great. Um, so let me just kind of. I guess not switch gears, but just kind of just take maybe a slightly different tack to um, the role of a producer in this day and age. So you you've you produced you said at the uh, at the top of the show you know recently seven features uh, in the last few years, and uh, I I guess when you're looking at the landscape and it's, this is it's a broad question because I'm curious about how you look at the world with respect to your films, making your films at a price, getting them into the market, looking at the distribution, planning for you know uh, an audience to see the film at the end of the day, but really mm-hmm. you know when you're when you're looking at the life of a film and how it's going to eventually go from you know the from, from, from digital ones and zeros on a camera to being in front of an audience. That that's mm-hmm. all part of the that's all part of one equation now, and in a very different world than it was, say, a decade ago. So, uh, mm-hmm. maybe your perspective on the landscape of being a producer today. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, uh, that's a big one. Uh, so, uh, and, and my work is and my business is is pretty diverse. So it really kind of, I deal with, pro- I still will do low budget projects if I really, really believe in them. Um, but I'm also involved in service production. I do, I'm, I'm a service producer as well. So I'm involved in projects that are, you know, 
20 million of that range. So, you know, as much as things have changed and that's true, I think they the main place they radically changed is in the really lower budget where range where producers have become distributors in many cases and, you know, all sorts of digital distribution uh, techniques are, are now at the forefront. But, you know, there's still, the old system is still there. It didn't, like, you know, die off entirely by any means. And it's still, you know, the main, you know, in terms of distributors in each country, sales companies selling to those distributors, that basic structure is still certainly present for anything other than, you know, the lowest budget movies. So, and I'm involved in that world and also involved in exploring this newer frontier of more kind of producer, filmmaker-driven distribution, direct distribution. So I'm kind of involved in all of it and relying on all of it for different parts of my business. So I don't actually feel too much uh, negativity to any one part. Um, I'm excited by the new possibilities opening up of going directly to audiences. I think, you know, for a long time I was very opposed to... uh, uh, what you may call it, um, Indiegogo, et cetera. Uh, the principle of it really bothered me because I just thought it seemed like harassing your family because you think you're so special for being a filmmaker that, you know, they should give you money. Whereas your cousin who's like a carpenter, they're not buying his hammer, you know? So why should they give you money to make your film? Like, that's how I looked at it. But now I look at it differently. Um, and basically I see it as almost a sort of pre-buy on the part of, of uh, audiences, which is actually a really exciting thing and makes total sense. And there's no, I don't have any sort of, uh, you know, social problems with it. Um, so that, that I think has tremendous possibility and hasn't fully been realized yet. Um, going, you know, digital distribution, same thing. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm far from, far from a uh, leading voice on, on these issues of, of uh, new digital platforms um, that, uh, you know, and how their, how their market share is shaping up. Um, no, but let, but, me just, does, but let me just, yeah. just put, I don't mean to cut you off, but I just, just to put it in perspective for just, for just a moment, because you produce a film for, mm-hmm. I don't know, let, let, let's just throw a number out there. Let, let's just say it's three quarters of a million dollars. For the most mm-hmm. part, there will more than likely be some equity investors of some fashion uh, involved in that project. And so when you're looking at getting the movie out there, you obviously mm-hmm. have to always take into account, you know, how are my investors going to get their money back? And if they do, well, you get, mm-hmm. you get to do it again. And if they don't, well, maybe you don't get to do it again. So I, I, there is certainly an importance that any producer puts on being able to, you know, turn their product into dollars at the end of the day for, you know, for the benefit of, of, of everyone. So mm. I mean, do you, do you feel that you, you, you ebb and flow between one model versus another, depending on the kind of picture, depending on where you feel more money is going to be coming from at the end of the day? Like what, where do you kind of, you know, where, where do you like, to you know, put your 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 financial hands into the kind of that that distribution landscape. Since since we're talking about that, to to fully right. realize the value of a project, because it, yes, it's great to say, yeah, this DIY 
stuff is out there. But for example, if you're if you're trying to get the husband out there, well, maybe DIY isn't the best approach. So I mean, all mm-hmm. this stuff is obviously case specific. But anyway, that that I guess is more where I'm coming from. Uh, uh, in terms of the, the you know the, the general aspects of my question, right? Yeah, I think I can maybe say it like this. Um, one thing that actually probably the micro budgets I do or have done, and the biggest budget stuff I'm involved with, like stuff that's getting closer to twenty million, um, have in common is that the landscape has changed in, so that the all of those projects now have a really hard time finding an audience. That's the thing they all have in common. Unfortunately, it's a, it's a challenge they have in common. Uh, and you know, I'm not involved in projects with marketing budgets, or I haven't yet been involved in a project with a marketing budget of 50 million that they can essentially, you know, force millions of people to go see through bombarding them with money. Uh, you know, um, I'm not involved in those. So all of my projects have that need to, um, rise to the challenge of having a vastly overcrowded, not only, you know, a field of, of movies to see for people, but platforms to see them on means to see them by. So they're all facing that challenge. And so it feels like the way that they're meeting that challenge is with the mentality that they need to somehow somehow stand apart from the crowd. So the micro-budgets, there's lots of micro-budgets. How do you stand apart from all of them? The $5 million genre movies, same thing, you know? Uh, so there's this challenge that they're all facing, and certainly no nobody that I know has completely figured out how to always meet that challenge, but it's... It, that is what is, everybody's facing. Yeah, no, I, I think that's very, very well said. Uh, the, the amount of noise that's out there is just growing exponentially. So it, given that that's a challenge that exists, let me ask you about casting. Do you feel that as one piece of the pie that is obviously a very important piece of the pie, uh, how do you approach being able to cast micro or mid-budget projects um, and get cast into a movie with the underlying assumption that cast is a critical piece of that puzzle, if indeed you feel it is. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a leading yeah. question, maybe, but anyway. Well, yeah, no, I mean, okay, cast, any way you look at it, cast is always important. It's, it's either important just because, obviously, it's a huge part of every movie, and it's creatively important, and it's, if, if only that, but then almost all the time it's also important in terms of finding an audience. But that sort of speaks to maybe one of the other major dividing lines that I think exists in, you know, all independent film right now, which is movies that are packaged and basically financed for by the market um, so that they are completely beholden to those sellable properties such as cast and genre and, um, you know, brands. Um, you know, that, so there's those movies that are put together only because they have those sellable qualities and they're financed by the market. Then there are all the projects that, uh, and it's not a clear line, obviously it's a gray zone and most have an element of that market driven aspect, 
but um, there are on the other end of the spectrum projects that are you know say funded by um, a wealthy individual who just likes the idea or a ton of soft money or um, you know more government funding or, or that whole side so those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum and which end of that spectrum you're on helps answer your question about how important cast is so if you're if you're on the market driven side which still exists very much although it's the pre-sales market is, is tough right now, everyone will tell you. Um, but if you're on that side, you've got to have your cash, and it's just like the foundation that you build your marketability on. Um, whereas if you're on the other end of the spectrum, you might have more freedom to, um, well, you'll have less pressure to have those very few names that motivate buyers in the market right now. Again, love the metaphor. I can actually see, I can see that that spectrum in my head. I kind of want to just create uh, a, a visual of that and put that right on the, the top of our blog, so everybody can just see that and go, okay, I'm going to be on this side of the spectrum or that side of the spectrum. But I I, I genuinely feel that that that's a very uh, poignant way to conceptualize the market and also helpful, uh, especially when you're going out there and trying to cast your project. Now, out of curiosity, have, have you found that agents, when going out to agents, that they approach projects in the same way? And if you're on, say, the, the genre market-driven spectrum, that it's, okay, well, my quote is this, and you're not going to get such and such a name uh, unless you, you meet the quote. Or, and then if you're on the, the other side, it's, well, more, you know, may, maybe there's more flexibility there because you're, you're not on the market-driven side. So... From a casting perspective, do you feel mm-hmm. that there are, there's, there's, I guess, relative difficulties, whether you're on one side or the other? Um, yes, uh, definitely. I mean, but, you know, it can often just sort of overlap, too. Like, you might well want an actor for creative reasons who just also happens to be a sought-after actor for market reasons. And that that often happens because, you know, there's plenty of actors who are very successful because they're actually really, really good. Um, there's some that are the other way, too. But, uh, you know, so that that it's it's really um, not a clean. There's no clean answer to that, because um, it, I, am I answering your question? Actually, maybe I didn't fully understand it. No, no, you're, 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 answering, you're answering the question. Let me ask you just kind of maybe a, a different question then that will, I think, equally pull some insights out of some of your experience, which mm-hmm. is, uh, just more broadly speaking, do you find it difficult to cast your movie? Because we've had other people on the show who mm-hmm. have basically said in no uncertain terms that it is really, really, really difficult to cast genre movies. Uh, whereas oh, okay. that, where, we, right. where we've had other people on the show and they've basically been saying, well, you know, if you're if you're dealing with the the non-genre movie and it's and it's material oriented, you know, stuff that it, it's a much different kind of sales pitch. So, uh, I mean, that was right, I, right. I, I guess where my question what was coming from, but in a more generic way, I'm I, I'm asking you basically, you know, how difficult is casting movies these days? Okay, well, it's really fucking hard. <laughs> uh, you know, is the short answer. Um, but yeah, I mean, I guess that's where as producers, we sort of have to become, uh, sort of, uh, psychologists in a way, and that we have to understand the thought processes that 
that all the people we work with might be going through. So you have to sort of think from everybody else's perspective, or at least that's how I partly look at it, and try to see what might be motivating them so that you can anticipate what might actually happen. Um, so uh, in the case of actors, yeah, uh, sure, I can see how casting a genre movie might be harder, be, you know, because frankly, one of the motivation of actors is that uh, they want to be involved in projects that will give them critical acclaim or awards or um, acting glory of one kind or another. Um, it sounds cynical to put it that way, but I think it's true. Um, and uh, genre movies, especially the most hardcore uh, genre um, movies, don't are, are less likely to get that kind of recognition for the actors involved, even if they deserve it, in which in some cases they definitely do deserve it. Um, so that, and that what I'm saying about the actors may actually be more true of their agents than the actors themselves. So that's, that's a factor I have certainly considered when casting. Yeah. Um, cool, cool. Okay. So just trying to draw on some of the wealth of your experience, uh, and, and I do love this question because I, I ask it of quite a number of people who've come on the show and I love hearing what comes from this answer because I just think it. There's so much applicable, you know, knowledge and, and advice that, that comes from this, which is what are the one or two biggest mistakes you've ever made as a producer? <laughs> oh, wow. Um, huh, huh. I mean, as it, I think because of the thousands of decisions we're constantly making, it's actually a very competitive field <laughs> because we inevitably, if we're telling the truth, are making a ton of mistakes all the time, whether it's like waiting too long to return someone's email or, you know, working with the wrong partner, you know, it could be anywhere on that spectrum. So, uh, yeah, I mean, the biggest mistake that I cannot, that will not, people will not hunt me down and attack me for saying. Right. Um, so, let's see. Um, or or I'll, I'll, I'll just take a set horror story for fun, too. Yeah. Because those are always yeah. good also. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think, I think that uh, probably early on, this is just, sort of a boring answer, but um, probably early on when I was producing, I did just take too much on. I, I didn't, wasn't discriminating enough, you know. I, uh, I, I just was doing volume for the sake of volume and doing prod, taking on projects that, this is probably really common, but yeah, for when people are starting out, but just taking on projects that were never going to happen, put, put like really in some cases years of work into things that, you know, if I'd been more, discriminating uh, and even I did even probably have the tools to know this at the time they just were not going to happen so you know probably spent a cumulative year of my life on on projects that that just were never ever going to happen so that that's something that, that's a mistake I have been trying to correct is really really be more discriminating that's like a life mistake it just never stops happening we that's, keep, true. that's true. I, sometimes I feel like we're all hamsters on the same wheel of, of, of that particular mistake. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> uh, anyway, so 
just from from the perspective then of and, and thank you for that. I, I know that was an honest answer, and I I, uh, <laughs> I know I, I put you on the spot a little bit there. But <laughs> That's all right. I should have like a vetted stock answer to that question, knowing that I'll probably be asked it several times. Oh, no, I thought you were already <laughs> answering like the, the perfect interview, you know, well, let me give you the mistake that, you know, it really wasn't a mistake <laughs> because I learned something from it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's kind of that. I mean, yeah, but you want, yeah, anyway, I, I that's my homework. I'm going to find the perfect answer to that question, which is both juicy and, uh, not uh, so destructive to tell in public. It'll come up again in life. I promise you, it'll come up again. <laughs> cool. I'll uh, work on it. <laughs> um, so, uh, out of curiosity, just from kind of a a, a more a more uh, nitty gritty, uh, listicle kind of perspective. Um, because these things are so, you know, really, because I, I get to take this, what I'm about to ask you and put it in a blog post later. No, no, seriously. What are the, mm-hmm. what are the, what are the three to five best pieces of advice you could give a, um, a, a, a new filmmaker, somebody who's coming out trying to make that, that movie in that sub million dollar range? What, what would just be some of the things you would say to that person who's sitting across the table from you? Um, yeah, I mean, it's because you're asking me to drill down to the core thing. It's going to be stuff people have heard, but, um, yeah, it really is. Make it about the story. Make it about the project. Don't, don't be too swayed by things that have, you've seen that have been successful. God forbid you're swayed by things that are big budget that have been successful, but even lower budget things that have been successful, I think. I think following in those footsteps is um, just, uh, or at least following in them too slavishly is just going to make it less likely that you'll break out because that's what we're really dealing with. Like it goes back to what you were saying or, or the, what we were talking about with some of your earlier questions um, about what kind of projects are, are sort of pet the mustard for me. Uh, and it really is about finding that project that can break out and, you know, all the, all the fuel that we can find to, to, to make a project, you know, have that kind of chance, uh, are things like cast and genre. But to me, much more importantly, it's, it's originality. Like I, I I've done a fair bit of research and looking at the projects that have broken out just out of curiosity, if nothing else. And, I, there really is a pattern on one level or another of originality um, in, in the breakout in the films that have that have uh, defied expectations, which is, you know, from a business or creative point of view, is what we all really want these things to do. You know, is to to exceed expectations because, frankly, the expectations are too low. If you're just going to meet those expectations, it's not actually a particularly worthwhile activity. So, how do you defy them? And to me, that's all about originality. I'm sure there's people who could debate me well about that, though. No, I think the way, what you said there at the end is actually very poignant, it, that it's if you set your expectations too low, then you're probably not going to have something original, and therefore you almost have no chance of success. It'll just be one of, you know, 
many, many th- hundreds of possibly thousands of movies just that are a part of the noise. And there might be a place for that kind of movie that makes some return, but if sure, looking, sure, yeah. But if you're looking to do something truly original with the chance of that breakout, you you have to have certainly uh, a deeper, more meaningful connection with the material and your reasons for doing it. That's really cool advice. Anything else that you want to throw on that uh, that list of advice to the to, to that guy sitting across the table or gal? Um, or gal? Yeah, I mean, there's. Really, I guess uh, another big one is uh, really love the people that you're working with. Like, I mean, love them. Like, want, like, you know, not just be able to tolerate them, but you know, you've got it's you know, it's, it's you're talking about years of your life, and um, you know, also some of the more intense interactions you'll have with anybody. So. It's, I mean, I know this has been said many times, but it's really is so crucial uh, that uh, that the people you're doing this this with are on the most key relationships between, like, say, director and producer, um, are are people that you uh, actually care about as human beings and respect as human beings, uh, or it's just painful. I couldn't have said it better myself. That is uh, not only great advice but uh that's a wonderful place to just sort of leave off of this podcast because uh our time is up for today so i kind of blow it it always surprises me how fast 40 minutes flies but uh do you want to leave uh uh, uh, a connection for how people can best connect with you in kind of the your i don't know digital space or otherwise Sure. If they um, want to or not, but I, I assume you're yeah. on Twitter and all that kind of stuff because I see you there. Yeah. Around. Yeah, I'm on Twitter. I think it's uh, at Daniel Beckerman, just my full name on Twitter. And uh, I have a website, scythiafilms.com, S-C-Y-T-H-I-A-F-I-L-M-S.com. It's my company's website. And, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I think... Uh, uh, it's this ongoing conversation that uh, we had here is, is the same one that I think people at almost every level are having, uh, you know, and it's at its at its core. So it's it's exciting. So thanks a lot for uh, for letting me get involved in this. No, I appreciate your time, Dan. As always, it's been awesome, and uh, thanks for coming on the show. Okay, cheers.